0: video is better than Intel. Do I invest in Tesla or do I invest in FANG stock, which are Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, right? What do I do when there's all this debate and you spend all this time and energy trying to figure out what are the fundamentals of this? What are, how does this work? But they're all within the same asset class, right? They're all equities, they're all stocks. And what you need to look at is your overall portfolio asset allocation. And that's where the biggest impact comes from, right? Which also then affects how soon you can get to retirement or how how soon you can get to financial freedom. If you have a portfolio with 7% returns over the course of 50 years, a dollar that you have invested becomes $30 at the end of 50 years if you didn't have fees. Now, if you have 2% fees, what happens to that dollar that you've invested in it over the course of those 50 years? Instead of getting to $30, that dollar now gets to $10. So that's a 60%. 7% 7% reduction in returns because of a 2% fee. That's how impactful fees are to your stock bond portfolio. Welcome to Generational Wealth MD's podcast on financial freedom through investing in real estate. My name is Param Baladandapani. I'm a mom, radiologist, real estate investor, and mentor to others looking to start or scale their real estate portfolios. The goal of this podcast is to provide you with inspiration, strategies, and insight so that you can stop trading your time for money and live life on your terms. If you love the episode, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Today, we're going to talk about five ways to boost your passive income before the summer ends. And Because after we started promoting the episode, I actually thought about it more and I was like five ways to boost your passive income in five days is probably more accurate because I'm going to be talking about things that are quick wins that any of you listening can do today if you wanted to. And these are little things that I think some of us don't understand completely. And then oftentimes I think we just forget to do it. And it really helped boost your returns from your portfolio, your passive income significantly, right? So everything today is essentially passive income. How are you making your money work for you? And what can you do to optimize that really quickly? And this was prompted because I did something similar for a dear cousin who was visiting. We traveled, we had fun. And then before leaving, she was like, hey, can you take a look at what we're doing with our stock portfolio? Can you help optimize it? And I took a look at it and it was I think 10 minutes and I made some shifts and we boosted her ROI by 50%. I'm going to talk about that a little more in depth, but I felt like it prompted me to do this episode because these are easy, quick things that any of you listening on here can do right now if you wanted to, and you can do it even if you don't own real estate. So it's a departure from what we always talk about, but I thought it was super important and I'm excited to get started. And so, before we get started, what I wanted to say is that just looking at her portfolio, again, this is just educational and informational. I am not a financial advisor. So, before you make any changes, remember that real investing is personalized. So, whatever changes you make has to be aligned with your goals and your resources and what your plan is. And so, I just want to put that out there. But just again, quickly giving you a little bit of an overview of what, what we did when we optimized my cousin's portfolio was that. I took a look at how she had her retirement accounts structured, right? Now, this is someone, so obviously she's my cousin, so she's also investing in real estate and they are acquiring more real estate and they have plans to do that. And for someone who has real estate, I think the way you structure your traditional retirement accounts has to be a little different, right? And that's because when you think traditionally about retirement accounts or investing in the stock market. What you do is there's a way you structure your asset allocation, right? And you do it because you want to weather market volatility. But when you have real estate is like a bond equivalent because with real estate, you have steady, even if the prices go up and down, your cash flow from your property tends to be relatively stable and that gives you the ability to weather market volatility. Therefore, you don't have to have as much bond exposure as someone who does not own real estate, right? So what I did for her portfolio was specifically because she had that exposure to real estate and she had passive income coming in. And so again, like I said, anyone listening to this, remember that we'll talk more specifically about if you don't own real estate, how do you structure your portfolios, asset allocation, all of that. But I just wanted to start off by mentioning that. So what we did with her is that I took a look at what her current portfolio was at. She had a 2050 target fund, targeting retirement in 2050 that she was invested in. And we looked at 10-year returns. You could do 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. The longer you, further you go back, the better. We looked at 10-year returns and how that fund had performed over 10 years. If you put money in there 10 years ago, your money would have doubled. And we compared it to the S&P 500. So the S&P 500 over that same timeframe, if you had invested your money, it would have tripled over 10 years, right? So there was a 50% drop in return because she was invested in the target fund. And that's because of a combination of things and we'll a little deep dive in, in, into that. But we shifted it for her right away. She actually went back home and she called me and she was like, hey, did we do it? Or were we thinking about doing it? And I was like, I did it right there because I wanted to make sure we took care of it. Like I said, these are really quick wins and we'll talk about how and why this makes sense and what you should be doing for your portfolio. And so I'm going to give you five tips. And as I was writing this down, we just came up with one more. So we have a bonus tip towards the end. And all of these things are really quick wins that you can do right away. And you can actually execute this even if you don't own real estate. And that's why I'm super excited about this. Okay, so the first one that I want to talk about is asset allocation. And I'm just going to throw some numbers because I feel like when we look at the numbers, that's when the concepts really sink in. I'm going to throw some numbers out there. So there are articles where they talk about the biggest contributor to your returns is asset allocation. So 90% of what affects your returns is asset allocation. And I talk about this because oftentimes it's like religion, right? Oh, NVIDIA is better than Intel. Do I invest in Tesla or do I invest in FANG stock, which are Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, right? What do I do when there's all this debate and you spend all this time and energy trying to figure out what are the fundamentals of this? What are, how does this work? But they're all within the same asset class, right? They're all equities. They're all stocks. And what you need to look at is your overall portfolio asset allocation. And that's where the biggest impact comes from to your returns, right, which also then affects how soon you can get to retirement or how how soon you can get to financial freedom. So let me explain. We talked about this a little bit last time where we talked about your investment policy statement. And so I talked about how all of you have to have a written investment policy statement, which outlines how much you're saving, right? That's your goal. You sit down with your spouse and you write it down, how much you're saving, what your asset allocation is. And then how you're rebalancing this over time as the percentage shifts, what is the trigger that makes you go in and change and that also defines when you don't go in and change things, right? So you aren't making emotional decisions, you have it written down. Now, so when we talk about asset allocation traditionally, it's for most of us between stocks and bonds. That's the traditional retirement model. That's all you think about. And then if you've been part of the community, real estate is in there. And ideally, all of you need to be exposed to real estate also. And I said this last time, initially it's for diversification. Yes, you want something that you want to be diversified. You want to be invested in a real asset that's inflation adjusted and that's non-correlated to the stock market. But over time, you realize that you're investing in real estate because the returns are significantly higher, right? So real estate. And then there are fixed income assets, which is your CDs, your, your bonds, right? Your money market funds, anything that gives you fixed income, right? So you have fixed income coming in. Bonds traditionally fall in the same bucket, right? So you have all of those things and you really want to know how you're going to be investing your money across those buckets, right? So that's your asset allocation. And I want to give a quick tip and we're going to get to the point where I talk about the one step that you can take for this action item for asset allocation. But before that, some of you who may be wondering, how do I know how much should be in stocks and how much should be in bonds? And so let's talk about someone who is not invested in real estate, right? Because I know a significant portion of our community is just beginning to invest in real estate. So all you have is a pure stock bond portfolio, then this number applies to you. 120 minus your age. So if you're 40 years old, 80%, so 120 minus 40 is 80. 80% of your assets should be in stocks and 20% in bonds. And what this essentially means is that over time, as you get closer to retirement, that is going to shift to at 60, it's going to be 60, 40, right? 60% in stocks and 40% in bonds. And you do this with a pure stock bond portfolio because you want to make sure that your portfolio is resilient and that you can weather market volatility so the market stock market goes down, you're still able to withdraw from it. You haven't lost a significant amount, so it doesn't shrink your nest egg rapidly. That's why you do that, right? So that number is helpful for all of you who have a pure stock bond portfolio. Now, like I said with my cousin, she's invested in real estate and she has that rental income coming in, which is her bond equivalent, right? Because again, that... Even if the real estate market fluctuates and if it fluctuates with the, with the stock market, rents don't fluctuate as much. They tend to be steady. They plateau. They dip a little bit in times of serious recessionary times. Oh eight, oh nine, it dropped by 5% and 4% for, for those two years before it went straight back up, right? So that's her bond equivalent, which is why we shifted her from a target fund into an S&P 500 index fund, which is predominantly invested in stocks, right, which is just stocks. And that made sense for her portfolio. So being intentional about those numbers. So just really knowing this is where I want to be at this age. And this is when I shift it. And when I rebalance, that's going to be really important. And that is the biggest thing you can do. And you can do this right away, right? You can do this right away, but it's the biggest change you can make to boost your passive income. And so for those of you invested in target date funds, they're not a bad thing, right? As long as it makes sense for your goals, right? So if you feel like that's where you want to be you, and you have to understand how they're allocating your assets between stocks and bonds over the course of the next 10 years or 20 years till you get to retirement and you have to be okay with that asset allocation that has to make sense for you and so I want you to go in and take a look and see what that looks like right so target date funds have another issue we're going to talk about it next at point number 2 but the first one is making sure that the asset allocation and the rebalancing that they have planned for that target date fund makes sense for your overall portfolio right That's the first thing. Now, again, like I said, real estate is like a bond equivalent because it gives you those returns from cash flow, even in recessionary times that is not correlated to the stock market. But the thing to remember is that, well, bonds have the same effect in your portfolio. But when you're invested in bonds and CDs, there's a tax drag because any returns that you get from bonds, if it's outside of a tax deferred account you're paying marginal taxes on it, right? And so I say this because we talked about stocks, we talked about fixed income assets, which are bonds and CDs, and we talked about real estate. And I would say for the longest time, for the first seven years that I was working as an attending, I was investing in stocks. and I thought I was doing a great job because pick the right stocks and I thought I was doing everything right. But I had a huge part of my portfolio, huge, massive. In my 30s, I had 50% in fixed income assets, which was bad, which is a bad thing for anyone, right? So again, it's very important to be intentional about that asset allocation. And then remember that if you have bonds and CDs outside of your retirement accounts, that's not tax efficient. You're paying 5%. If you get 5% in interest or in returns, that is taxed at your marginal tax bracket. So you're probably only getting half of it. And if 50% of your portfolio is in fixed income assets, That is a huge drag on how long it takes you to get to retirement, because if you're primarily invested in, say, CDs that give you 5% returns, it would take you, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years to get to retirement, right? Depending on how much money you have in there. So again, just be very intentional about it. And for those of you that the quick tip over here is to check your retirement accounts, your brokerage accounts, your overall portfolio to see what your asset allocation is, what percentage are you at? We talked about some numbers as guidance. Those are rules of thumbs. Those are not numbers I came up with. That's considered a general rule of thumb. And so know what your asset allocation is and rebalance it and have that IPS, investment policy statement. And if you have real estate, then you can be a little more aggressive in equities or stocks because you have that buffer. And so your portfolio will look different from someone who does not have real estate. You don't have to adhere to the same 120 minus your age rule right? For those of you who are thinking, what's my quick tip if I want to invest in real estate? We have two options for those of you who want to have more exposure to real estate. Our Park 33 syndication, we are not guaranteeing a spot for anyone at this time because we were already self-committed and very close to, to being fully committed, but we can take a few more people in. And so if you sign and fund the PPM, you still have the ability to get in. Now that is a deal which is very low risk. It's higher in cash flow. It's a core plus asset, institutional quality, de-risk for the economic environment that we're in right now. And so if you're considering it, that's a quick, that is actually a quick win for those of you who want to rebalance and, and invest in real estate before the end of the summer. And the link to that is generationalwealthmd.com slash Indiana, lowercase. And for those of you who want to invest in real estate for the tax benefits, higher returns, build your own portfolios, we have our three-day live event coming up. That's September 12th to 14th, but you can sign up now. So that's actually a step you can take to boost your passive income. And that would be generationalwealthmd.com slash event, lowercase. And this time we actually have a few of our students coming in to talk about their experiences. So you're going to listen to people who have implemented different strategies, creative financing, midterm rentals, short-term rentals, had six figures in tax savings, all of those things. And they are scaling their portfolios. And so I'm super excited about everyone is coming to speak. So again, I would say those are two quick wins for anyone who wants to get into real estate, who's thinking about asset allocation and wants to have a larger allocation to real estate, right? So generationalwealthmd.com slash Indiana and generationalwealthmd.com slash event in lowercase. But if you are not in real estate or you're trying to optimize your stock bond portfolio, then go in there, check your asset allocation and rebalance if you need to and know when you're going to keep rebalancing. That could be every quarter, I would say at least once a year and know what your criteria is, right? So that's the first step. Number two, fees. This is something I want to talk about. Asset allocation is one thing. Fees is another thing. There are studies to show that 92% of investors, which would be all of us, don't know what fees they're being charged for their investments when it comes to the stock market, right? And so I've even heard physicians say, I'm not good at knowing where I should be investing, so I'm going to invest in mutual funds so the experts can take care of my stock portfolio or the investing in target date funds right where again you have fees in there with these actively managed funds you have transaction costs and then you have taxes every time you enter and exit so between transaction costs taxes and fees there's a huge drag on your portfolio returns and i have some numbers to show you how much of an impact it can be on your portfolio but that's something that i think we should be very intentional about so warren buffett said this he said when i die which is what he said anticipating his wife to to live longer this is how we wanted his portfolio split up, right? So he said 10% in short term government bonds and 90% in a very low cost SP 500 index fund, preferably Vanguard, because the long term results for index funds are superior to mutual funds and pension funds. So that was Warren Buffett and Dak Bogle, who started Vanguard. This is his quote, right? Excessive fees can destroy 67% of returns. And so he actually bit out this example, which I think really puts things in perspective. If you have index funds, right, usually the returns are anywhere from 8 to 10%, right? So he said, if you have a portfolio with 7% returns over the course of 50 years, a dollar that you have invested becomes $30 at the end of 50 years if you didn't have fees. Now, if you have 2% fees, which doesn't seem like a lot, right? if you have 2% fees over those 50 years, your ROI goes down from 7 to 5%, right? But what happens to that dollar that you've invested in it over the course of those 50 years? Instead of getting to $30, that dollar now gets to $10. So that's a 67% reduction in returns because of a 2% fee. That's how impactful fees are to your to your stock bond portfolio. And so there's one thing where you say you can pay fees for superior returns, but not for inferior returns. And they've done studies that have shown that less than 4% of managed funds beat the S&P 500. How many of you invested in ARKK during the pandemic when they had this huge ROI? I think it was 2021, they had this huge boost. And I I just went in 30 minutes before going live to check to see what happened to my ARKK. And I was like massively, it was like 300% negative or something. So it was crazy. But if you'd invested in the S&P 500, you would have at this time, over the course of the last five years, you would have performed better than if you'd invested in ARKK. And so that's that's what I want to highlight, right? This this belief, and this is what I was talking about last time when I talked about recency bias. You look at performance over the last few years and you assume that something does better, but what you need to look at is longer term returns, right? And what we don't want to be doing is we don't want to be overpaying for underperformance. And so between taxes, transaction fees, and, and actual fees for managing your stock bond portfolio, that can be a huge drag on your ROI. And so if you've been listening to me, your next question is going to be, so how does this work with real estate syndication? Because don't we have fees in there? And, and here's the difference, right? And I'm actually, I wrote an ebook and we're in the process of getting it out to all of you for anyone who's thinking of investing in syndications where I talk about all of this, right? What do you look at and what do you have to do with real estate syndication? And it's completely different because, yes, you have the transaction fees, you have the tax implications and you have management fees. But the way you need to look at it is that you need to look at projected returns with the fees baked in and use that to compare two syndication opportunities and look at the risk profiles. Right. So if the risk profiles are matched. Right. They're both the same value add deals. Right. And I've seen this. One of them has zero fees and the other one has acquisition fees and asset management fees. And you look at it and you say, I don't want to go into the one with fees. I want to go into the one that's a long term buy and hold. So I'm avoiding taxes and transaction fees. The truth is that with the way value add syndications work, if you're interested in learning how to invest in long term and short term rentals the right way, so you can accelerate to financial independence with the support of mentorship, community, and vetted investor agents in strong markets across the country, then get on the wait list for the next cohort of Creating Generational Freedom at www.generationalwealthmd.com. You don't have to learn from decades of costly mistakes by yourself. The program is only open for enrollment in the spring and fall each year. In the last six months alone, our members have acquired over $60 million of real estate, and more importantly, they're living life and practicing medicine on their terms. You don't have to do it alone. Your returns are significantly higher in the first few years that's because that's where you're doing the value add, And then the longer you hold, your returns get muted. And so I've seen, I've spoken to multiple syndicators who have a lower fee or a no fee model, but their returns on the back end are significantly lower. For investors, that's because they have longer hold periods or because they're taking a bigger split, right? So there you need to be smart because it's okay to pay for overperformance. It's not okay to pay for underperformance. So I want to highlight the fact that the numbers are very different on both things. They're not the exact same thing. So I want you to be intelligent about how you look at those things. But that being said, in a stock bond portfolio, I want you to know what your expense ratios are, right? Because there's the difference between investing in an index fund with a 0.05% expense ratio and investing in a mutual fund with a 3% expense ratio or a fee is like a 60 times increase in fees. But we also talked about that being like a 70% reduction in your returns. So why would you do that? And for those of you listening and saying, okay, so then what do I invest in? I want to keep it simple. I say what most people in this space would talk about is. Investing in a two fund or a three fund model. Now, I invest in a two fund model. I just need it to be really simple. The returns are very similar for the two fund and the three fund model. So, the three fund model actually invests in the whole US stock market. That's VTSAX, right? Which is 3,000 companies, large, mid, small cap with growth. And it's a blend of growth and value stocks in there, right? So, you can invest in VTSAX. That's one. And then you have the total international stock market. That's VTIAX. You have some international exposure. And then the third one's going to be VBTLX. I have all of this written down if you're thinking that I'm actually just, I know this off the top of my head. I know some of it. But anyways, so VBTLX is the total U.S. bond market fund, right? Between these three, if you split it up and you could split it up equally, you could be heavily weighted towards US, the U.S. stock market, you could do what you think is appropriate. But that's a three fund portfolio for you. What I love and what I have for my personal portfolio is the two fund model, which just keeps it simpler where I invest in the S&P 500 index fund, which is a combination of the 500 large cap stocks. There's no small mid cap stocks in there, but that's also a blended fund. I have growth stocks and value stocks in it. And the returns are very similar to the U.S. total stock market, just because 75% of the companies are the exact same thing, right? Between those two funds, I do BFIAX, which is the S&P 500 index fund that Vanguard has. And then VBTLX is our total US bond market fund. So that's a simple way to keep it simple, right? Two fund portfolio. So you're investing in an S&P 500 index fund and a total US bond market fund. That's how I like to keep it. And then if you want to get it super technical, you could do ETFs, exchange traded funds instead of index funds, because they don't have a minimum requirement often. And you can just trade it quickly like trading a stock. That The symbol is VTI if you're thinking of the total U.S. stock market ETF that Vanguard has and BO if you're thinking of the S&P 500 ETF, right? So that's my tip. If you have mutual funds or actively managed funds, you're probably better off switching to a two fund or a three fund of index funds and keeping your fees lower because that has a huge drag on your portfolio. Now, Point number three is dead money and lazy equity. And so we don't notice this often, but typically most of us need three to six months of cash lying around in case of an emergency and everything else should be invested. And what I notice often is that's not happening all the time. And what happens is that you have cash sitting in your bank account that could be invested, right? And it should be following your asset allocation Sometimes if you go into a 401k account or if you have brokerage accounts, sometimes there's money sitting there that isn't really invested. And I call that dead money also that is dragging your portfolio returns down. So that's something that really quickly you can go fix it, go check your brokerage accounts, check your retirement accounts, check your savings and checking account, and make sure that anything in excess of your emergency fund is invested. And that's going to really boost your returns. Now, for those of you who are real estate investors or own your primary residence even, right? Lazy equity in your homes. So and I talk about this all the time when I talk about leverage, right? When I talk about leverage, I say you need a minimum amount, like 25% in your home, your investment properties. Anything about that is like lazy equity sitting over there. Your property's value is increasing, irrespective of whether you have that money in there. So when you have excess equity in your properties, that's something you should be tapping into, ideally. So that's something to think about, right? And so this may not be the best time to do a cash out refinance. But a HELOC is a second mortgage that goes in there and allows you to tap into it. And it's also like a credit card where it's a revolving line of credit. So that's something to think about. And I guess the biggest question I get with real estate investors is like, with interest rates being the way they are, is it even going to make sense to have a HELOC? And it does make sense as long as the property that you're investing in, once you factor in tax savings, cash flow, and debt pay down, and market appreciation that you anticipate, and if you're forcing appreciation even better, right? So once you factor all of that in, you're looking at the arbitrage between your overall returns over there uh, after you acquire that property versus your interest rate over here. And if there is that arbitrage over there, then it makes sense to do it, right? Again, we're going to talk more about this during the three-day live event. And so if you want to learn more about how to really tap into real estate and do it the right way, definitely join us. It's generationalwealthmd.com slash event, lowercase. We talk about strategies. We talk about Tax savings, controlling your returns from real estate by adding value to it. And we're gonna have have five or four students come and talk about their journeys. And I think it's gonna be super inspiring. So the tip from this point was to check your brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, and checking savings accounts. Make sure you don't have dead money sitting around, which is dragging your portfolio returns down. Now, number four is tax efficiencies. And quickly, there's so many things that you need to think of from a tax perspective. If you are invested in REITs, or you invested in debt funds that throw out distributions and you earn interest from that, you will get taxed on that if it's outside of retirement accounts or tax-deferred accounts. So ideally, you want those to be in tax-deferred accounts, right? But the quick tip as far as tax efficiency is backdoor Roth IRAs. So what is a backdoor Roth IRA? The rules are that if you are married and you have income above $228,000, or single and income above $153,000, that's for 2023, you cannot directly invest in a Roth IRA, right? So what you do is you put your money into a traditional IRA and then within 24 hours, you turn around and you drop it into a Roth IRA and you can do that. And what is the advantage to that, right? Why would you even think about doing it? So if you're someone who is a hybrid investor and you are going to continue to invest in the stock market and you max out your retirement accounts, now you have money sitting, post-tax dollars sitting in your bank account and you want to invest it, you want to put that into a brokerage, right? You want to put it into a brokerage and you're going to invest it in stocks. If you did that, and when you withdraw your money from your brokerage account, eventually you will pay taxes on it. But if you do use the backdoor Roth IRA and you're allowed to do $6,500 per individual every year. So if you're a couple, you could do 13000 You could take that money and use the backdoor Roth IRA to get it into a Roth IRA. And when you do that, suppose... 20 years later, you have $500,000 between the two of you in your Roth IRA and you withdraw that, you don't have to pay taxes on it. And actually five years after you put your contribution in, you can withdraw your contribution without a penalty. So it's multiple advantages to having a Roth IRA. And that's something that I think you could go in and do it today. It's not as complex as it seems. There are tutorials. I want to give a shout out to Physician on Fire. He does have an article on backdoor Roth IRA where he actually walks you through it. It Literally takes an hour maybe to figure it out and get it get started. And then you would have to go back in and make that transfer from your traditional IRA to your Roth IRA. You can do that within the same brokerage account. I like Vanguard for it. Keep the process pretty simple. So that's something I would highly recommend. I do want to mention that there's something called a pro rata rule. So if you have a traditional IRA and you're trying to do the backdoor Roth IRA, you may not be able to take advantage of the tax savings because of the pro rata rule, and I would recommend reading up about it or talking to your CPA so you understand it better, right? And so for those of you who don't have a traditional IRA, you're fine. You can do the backdoor Roth IRA. But if you do have a traditional IRA, please look into the pro rata. Now, I don't want to talk about the mega backdoor Roth because I am prejudiced. I favor real estate investing. And anyone who's investing in real estate knows that if you have money within your IRA, You could do a self-directed IRA and you can invest in real estate. But if you have post-tax dollars sitting outside of your retirement accounts, in my opinion, the best thing to do is to invest in real estate outside of your retirement accounts. If you have that option, then you get to really tap into the tax efficiencies better because you don't want to put a tax-efficient asset into a tax-advantaged account. You're just canceling out a lot of the benefits, right? And so I don't talk about the mega backdoor Roth because I feel like if you're investing in real estate, just use your post-tax dollars and invest in real estate outside of your retirement account. If you do have funds within your r- retirement accounts that so you have an IRA, we do this all the time for our syndication investors. We help them create a self-directed IRA. We have facilitators who can help you and you can invest through it. But I don't traditionally recommend a mega backdrop for anyone investing in real estate. Okay, But your quick tip was to max out your backdoor Roth and that gives you like a significant boost towards them. And like I said, if you have 250000 or half a million in your rock at the end of 20, 30 years, then you don't have to pay taxes on your gains, right? So that's huge. Okay, final one, number five, and then we have the bonus tip, right? Is tax loss harvesting. So tax loss harvesting is when you're selling securities at a loss to offset capital gains tax liability. But if you have losses, if you have stocks, right, that are at a loss, if you are like me and you invested in, all these individual stocks that were doing great in 2021. And it was all very speculative. Not, I wouldn't call that investment. I would call it speculation. And now they're like, all of them are at a loss. You can sell them. And if even if you don't have capital gains from any sales, right? If up to $3,000 of losses, you can use to offset your clinical income from taxes. So $3,000 is your limit for every year. If you're selling your stocks at losses, you can take that $3,000 loss and use it to shelter $3,000 of your clinical income from taxes. And if it's more than that, if you're selling your stocks that you are that at a loss and you have $5,000, you're only using $3,000 this year, the rest get carried over to the next year. The advantage of doing that is that you're not going to just sell it and then keep the money in a savings account. You're going to sell the asset at a loss and then use it to reinvest in an other asset that hopefully is more stable, gives you better returns. And so, you're selling and buying at the same time, but then you're also generating that loss, which is used to give you that tax shield. Now, quick tip over here, avoid buying the same asset because that's called a wash sale and then you don't get the tax benefit. You would invest in a similar asset to maintain your asset allocation the way you want it to be in terms of risk return and you want to keep that balance basically, right? So that's it. Tax loss harvesting was the fifth point. I'm going to give you bonus points, right? The bonus tip is drip and DCA. So what is that? DRIP is dividend reinvestment plan. And what happens with that is if you are invested in stocks and you have dividends and you get that even from index funds, you have to pick the DRIP option so that whenever you get dividends, that's reinvested back into into that index fund, ideally. Or if it's a dividend aristocrat as an individual stock, you still want to have that DRIP option so that your money isn't just sitting there, it's compounding, right? And compound interest is called the eighth wonder of the world. Because it does add up over time. And so this was an example that someone ran for a portfolio. Over 40 years, if there was no reinvestment of the dividend, the portfolio would be at 400000 right? And if you reinvested your dividends, you'd be at 600000 That's how impactful compound growth is, right? That's why they call it the eighth wonder of the world. I would call leverage the eighth wonder of the world because I think it's more powerful than compound interest.ing But that being said, DRIP is a dividend reinvestment plan. That's something you should have set up on your accounts. And then DCA is dollar cost averaging. This prevents you from trying to time the market. Most of us cannot time the market. You need to be right two times to actually do better than staying in an index fund. So dollar cost averaging just averages things out. It's kind of diversification over time, essentially, right? So you want to make sure that is also happening so that you're investing not emotionally, but you're investing through every market cycle. And that's super helpful. So those are two tips which you could get set up right away, which will also boost your Passive income. Now, most important thing is to stick to the plan. So, definitely use all of these steps and stick to the plan. And, like I said, for those of you who are thinking real estate, you have real estate on the mind and you don't have enough of an allocation to real estate, we have our syndication opportunity at Park 33, very recession resilient, high cash flow from day one, monthly distributions that are going to hit your bank account, tax efficient. It doesn't get better than this. slash Indiana. And then if you want to really amp up your real estate education, generationalwealthandme.com slash event, sign up before the summer ends and you will see the results. Just to shift in perspective, listening to other physicians who are creating six figures in passive income and sheltering six figures of clinical income from taxes, I think is just super powerful to listen to how people are doing this, how they're working full-time and doing this so you can get over those barriers of, I don't have the time, We're using creative financing strategies so you can get over the barrier of, I don't think I have the money, And really learning how to de-risk your portfolio so that in any environment, you know how to invest and you know how to do your own due diligence. That's the whole point. But uh, yeah, super excited about that. But that wraps up five ways. It's actually six, but five ways to boost your passive income. Yeah, honestly, I think you can do all of this in five days. So it doesn't even have to take till the end of summer. If you're thinking that the only path to retirement is working harder, saving more, and investing in the stock market till you hit 65, I invite you to the 10XU Financial Freedom Through Real Estate Experience. This free virtual coaching event from September 7th through the 14th is going to be a game changer. And yes, I know that you can do it even in the current market with interest rates the way they are and even through a recession because our students are doing just that. And on day two, you get to meet some of them and hear their stories, how they have used strategies to get to six figures in passive income and save six figures in taxes in this market. So if you're tired, burnt out, and ready to take back control of your time and income, if you're struggling to get your first long-term or short-term rental and don't wanna learn from costly mistakes, if you're ready to go from a handful of rentals to 10xing your cash flow, I'm going to go over my proven framework that I used to get to financial freedom at 41 and that hundreds of our members have used. Plus, we will be figuring out your action plan, taking into account your risk appetite goals and resources. We'll also figure out your next step to help you actually move the needle so you can accelerate financial freedom while paying less in taxes and creating the recession resilient portfolio. I want you to go ahead and register for the event at generationalwealthmd.com event in lowercase and I'll see you soon. I hope you've been inspired by this episode and are ready to take action. Your feedback means the world to me. If you found value in what you heard, I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to rate the podcast, leave a review, and follow the podcast. And if you really liked the episode, share it with a friend. Your ratings, reviews, follows, and shares not only motivate me, but they also help others discover the show and join the community. So please share your thoughts. Let me know what you liked and even what you'd like to hear more of in the future. I can't wait to hear from you. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. And until next time, take care.